are jumping back into a series called Live Green. Everybody say, Live Green. We're talking about the disciple. Thank you, Justin. That was emphatic. We're talking about the discipleship essentials here at Greenhouse. Our passion, our heart is to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, this is what's called the Great Commission. He said, therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Now, this is clear. But what is a disciple and what does it actually mean in our real lives to make disciples? That's the question we've been answering in the midst of this series. Last week, Pastor Malik, how many of you here were Pastor Malik's sermon? Fantastic. He did great. If you missed it, do yourself a favor and check it out on our YouTube channel or on the podcast. He talked about the mandate of the Great Commission, the as you go disciple all the nations. That's my best Malik impersonation there. This week... I want, I want to shift the script a little bit. We had a plan several months ago, and I came back from vacation with something burning on my heart, and I'd like your permission to preach it. Can I preach it? Good. It would have been awkward because I already had it ready and I was going to anyways, but I'm glad you gave me permission. Stand to your feet. This morning, I want to talk about purpose. I want to talk about purpose. If you're watching online, I want to talk this morning about purpose. We'll be in John 21, if you want to turn there. John 21 specifically, we'll start in verse 15. Shout out to Giannis and the Bucks for making it happen. It's nice to have a different team winning the NBA Finals, isn't that? That feels really good. I was, I was pulling for LeBron, but that was a bit of a travesty. John 21, let me catch us up to speed. At this point, there's this guy named Jesus. Anybody ever heard of him before? There's this guy named Jesus, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. In fact, many think he's the Mashiach. You wanna to try to say that one with me? Mashiach, if you're not spitting on your neighbor, you're doing it wrong. The, the Messiah, the promised Jewish teacher, Messiah, that would come and, and rescue his people from their sin, from their oppression. And so Jesus is doing his thing, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing, Jesus is doing miracles, Jesus is incredible, and then Jesus dies. And all of the disciples, as, cute, as you can imagine, are absolutely crestfallen. We see a conversation on a road. Two of them are like, man, we, we really thought he was the one. You ever been thoroughly and completely disappointed? And there's this one disciple named Peter, and Peter is kind of a guy that I, I really like. Peter is brash, and Peter is bold, and Peter is out there. Peter is one of those talk first and think second. Peter is that wear his heart on his sleeve. Peter is that what you see is what you get, and Peter has emphatically told all of the disciples and anyone who wants to listen or doesn't want to listen, I'm not going to deny Jesus ever. And if all the rest of y'all spiritual losers run out on Jesus, I won't. And Jesus says, Peter, I love you. Chill your role, though. You're going to deny me three times. He says, Lord, I won't. Telling God what you're going to do, right? Like he doesn't know. And so sure enough, Peter denies Jesus and, and he's heartbroken. And, and then John includes this moment. Peter has essentially gone back to his old life. And in the very end of the whole story, right when you think the movie's gonna end, this is like the Avengers after the credits final scene. It's not really necessary, except it is. This happens. They're out there. Peter has called a few of the disciples. He's like, guys, let's go back. Let's just go back to fishing. It's what we knew. It was our previous occupation. Let's go back to fishing. And they're out there fishing, and Jesus rolls up. He's like, hey, guys, how's it going? He's way on the shore. They don't know who it is. And they're like, it's going horrible. We caught nothing, because that's what happens when we all go fishing, right? We caught nothing. And he's like, eh, why don't you try the other side of the boat? And they're like, all right. They throw their nets on the other side. They get this monster catch. Does this sound familiar to anybody? It's because it happened before. And immediately, John turns to Peter. He's like, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter strips off his outer garment. I don't know exactly what he's wearing on his inner garment. Let's say a Hebrew version of a Speedo. 
And Peter jumps in the lake. I mean, this is like real deal. This is what he did. He jumps in the lake. He's not even waiting until the boat gets back. Jumps in the lake, swims there. And when he shows up, Jesus is doing the most peculiar of things. Jesus is making breakfast. How many of you are like, I like Jesus even more. I like him even more right now. Let's pick up in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, that's what he used to be called. That's who he used to be. That used to be his name. Remember, Jesus changed it, but now he's Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, a son of time, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him, Simon, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. You imagine a, a grief-ridden frustration in his voice. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And at the very end, after saying all these things, Jesus turns and he asks him once again, follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, let it come out of my mouth like it's in my heart this morning. Amen. Find a seat, turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. I hope. I hope it's going to be good. I hope. I have found that kids seem to have a favorite question. I'm not sure how universal this is, so I'll test it out here in a group in front of all of our friends and family. Um, my son, Liam, our son, Liam, Nancy and I, he's about to turn five this week, actually. So, Liam, happy birthday to you. And I never taught him this, but he seems to love to ask the question, Why? Sometimes it's inquisitive, sometimes it's a little bit obstructive, sometimes he's just curious, and sometimes he doesn't want to do what I'm asking him, but he loves to ask the question, why? Parents, can I get an amen to this one? Anybody else? Okay. Kids just, universal. Kids just seem to know it. How does that happen? It's amazing, right? The problem with Liam is that this joker is sharp. Like, he's a smart little kid. He's precocious. And so he'll come up and he'll be like, oh, why, Dad? And, and sometimes he's just being a punk, and I'm like, because Dad said so. The problem is, because Dad said so worked when he was like two and a half and three, but because Dad said so doesn't work as well when he's almost five. Now he's like, okay, and this is what he does. He's like, Dad, but what about this plan? And he'll give me his alternative plan to what I had just asked him to do. Anybody have kids like that? Anybody a kid like that? Okay, the problem is that his plan is often better than what my plan was. I'm like, snap. So I'm like, son, just go to your room, okay? And then I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do? It's, it's so crazy. But I'm thinking about Liam because it's not just Liam and it's not just kids. I think it's something about humans. See, oftentimes when Liam presses me on issues and we are learning joyful obedience and disciples of Jesus obey the first time every time and we have all of our mantras, but at the end of the day, I have been reminded in a very palpable way that often when it comes to his why, I don't really know. You ever felt that way before in life? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I inconveniencing myself in this way? Why have I structured my life like this? Why have I made the priorities the way that I have in my life? We humans, we have this tendency, this propensity to drift, to forget when it comes to purpose. When it comes to the deeper why behind why we're doing what we're doing and the problem and why this is so impassioned in my heart this morning is because if we do not rediscover our why in time, we just stop. 
and the action and the habit and the purpose dies with it. Which brings us to our passage and our topic this morning. I have titled this message, Fish or Sheep? Fish or Sheep? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, fish or sheep? Fish or sheep? You're like, I don't even know what I'm asking them. Are we talking about wedding menus? Because it's whatever's more expensive. That's the one I'll select for my wedding dish, okay? Fish or sheep? I'm not talking about culinary preferences. I'm talking about your life focus and your purpose. Let me dive in and explain what in the world I'm talking about. At the very beginning, we're introduced to this character named Simon. Simon, the son of Jonah. You remember what Simon did at the very beginning? You remember who he was? He was a fisherman. Very good. Gold starter, whoever just said that. Simon was a fisherman. Jesus rolls up, and as he tends to do, he brings about newness. And so Jesus gives Simon a new name. His new name is what? Peter. He becomes Simon Peter. He gives him a new name. In fact, he gives him a new vision as well. He was doing one thing with fish, and he says, I'm going to have you do something else. Jesus comes along and gives Simon a new name, a new destiny, a new role, a new unique calling in his kingdom. And then things get hard. And then persecution comes. And what we see is that when Peter loses sight of Jesus, he goes back to his old ways and the old things that he knew. Simon Peter goes right back to the fish. See, this is human nature. We, we almost can't help it. We're all probably listening right now like, man, we all like Simon Peter have gone astray because when things get challenging, Simon Peter, with all of the incredible experiences he had with Jesus, the Messiah, goes back to the fish. You're like, well, I, I, I don't even like fish. Fish, I'm utilizing as an analogy here. Fish represent Peter's old life. Fish represent the family business. This is what Peter was doing for an occupation before Jesus came along. This was kind of his career. This was his gig. This was how he made money. Fish is all about the, the money and the status and the stuff. And Jesus asks him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He's sitting around, the scripture tells us, this little charcoal fire as he makes breakfast. And Simon rolls up and he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And asks him it. How many times? Three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. In this masterful way, he's giving him a shot at redemption, and he asks him over and over, Simon, do you love me more than these? Here's what I want to highlight. Peter and really all of the disciples are a bunch of ordinary people just like you and I. The vision here at Greenhouse is to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. John, what's up with the ordinary people? It's kind of who we are. It's who the disciples were. It's who Jesus tends to love to call and love to use. And Simon is this ordinary person. And as I reflect on our moment in culture, I, I cannot help but see that I feel like we are at a Simon Peter moment in culture right now. Let me explain what I mean. We've, we've collectively, as humanity, as, as Americans and North Americans and really globally, we've hit this season of hardship called a pandemic. And what began as sort of a forced isolation for the first several months where we literally could not go out then became a season of learned isolation where we sort of learned a new way of going. And it's not really working great for any of us. None of us have become our best selves, but we've learned to operate in isolation. And here's the problem. Inevitably, just like with Peter, when we get separated from God's people, it's only a matter of time until we begin to drift from God's purposes as well. 
Anybody ever felt that before? Anybody, amen, nodding your heads with me? You're like, yeah, I've been there before. And here's what happens. When that is the case and we drift, we go back and we settle for what we knew. We go back to the fish. We go back to the familiar. We go back to the metaphorical prisons that we used to be stuck in. Even if we hated them, at least they're known and comfortable and well-worn. We go back to who we used to be or, or what everyone else is doing. And, and I've watched it. I'm not sure what your circles look like in real life or in the social media spheres, which is sort of real life-ish, maybe. But overall, the thrust of our world sounds something like this. What do you want to do? What, are you, what am I going to do with my money, with my time, with my career, with my stuff, with my influence, with my platform. The MO of this world is I'm going to look out for me and mine. I'm going to look out for number one. And it's not, I'm not going to say, man, you're an evil person or that. Uh, what I'm going to say is that it, that's not the kingdom. See, the way the, the way the kingdom operates, that's what everybody else does. But, but here at Greenhouse, our desire is not to make self Lord, where it's all about me, mine, and mine. It, it's, we make Jesus Lord. It's about his kingdom. It's about his passion. It's about his will. It's about his vision. Why? Because when we pursue that, everything else happens after. Seek first his kingdom, and all things will be added unto you. And I think we're at a moment where we're really beginning to wrestle. And if you're here in the room, if you're watching online, I hope you relate to this tension. I was reading through my journal and, and stumbled upon something I had scribbled down that I was like, man, I kind of like that. In, in a moment, just spending time with Jesus, I had jotted down my, a mantra for my life. And what I found, I can't tell you if I found it somebody else or if I made it up, so I'll give credit to who, God. I don't know, every good gift comes from God. I wrote down, I want to love God with my whole life, for my whole life. I, I want to love God with my whole life, there was a long time, God knows that that was not the case. But now I want to love God with my whole life, for my whole life. With my whole life is a vision for surrender, for my whole life is a vision for endurance. And there have been seasons where I feel like, man, by the grace of God, this has been lived out. And there have been other seasons where it has not. And I started thinking about Peter. I started thinking about Peter's decision to follow Jesus as Lord, to follow Jesus as King. You guys remember in the true story of the Gospels, this narrative of Peter, this character named Simon Peter? Simon Peter has these moments where, where Jesus is like, you know, people are feeling his teaching, but they're not quite sure about his lordship, about him being like CEO of their life and heart. And so Jesus takes this moment. He's like, hey, guys, let me ask you a question. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples are kind of giving, you know, when you're in class and you try to give an answer to the teacher that's not really a committed answer because you don't want to be wrong in front of your friends. They're like, oh, well, some people say this and some people say that. And Simon Peter just jumps out in front and he's like, I'll tell you, you are the Messiah. You're the Mashiach. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember that? Other moments where Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's like, listen, everybody's going to turn their back on me and, and here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to go down. And Simon Peter says, I'll never do it, Jesus. I'll never turn my back on you. And I think it was more the fake and phony and emotionalism. I think Simon Peter meant it in his heart because I know there have been moments where I've meant it in my heart. But he didn't do it. There was this genuine passion, this genuine desire, and yet he falls so short. So what happened? And I think it's the same thing that happens to all of us. He got distracted. He got intimidated. Then he failed. Then shame took over. And he classifies himself as a failure. 
And so Rabbi Jesus, and I need us to catch this, and please don't miss this, friends. So Rabbi Jesus, in his infinite love, goes out of his way in his new resurrected body. Post-death, he rises from the dead, and with his limited time on earth, he goes back to Simon Peter and cooks him breakfast. What in the world? And I have a deep sense in my heart that God is wanting to do the same in some of our hearts, maybe in the room or watching online this morning. This passage, if you've ever wondered, how does God, I know how God, maybe I, how I feel like God feels about me when I'm doing great, when I'm on a mountaintop, when I'm up here like Andrew and Rochelle singing, you're never gonna lie. I know how God feels about me when I'm being real spiritual. But what about when I'm, when I'm doing the Simon Peter fishing thing? Like, how does God feel about us when we blow it? Anyone ever wondered that before? Anyone ever like been in that spot where you're like, okay, what's God thinking about me now? Last week, Pastor Malik did a fantastic job of laying out the, uh, the nuances of the original Greek in the Great Commission. Jesus says, as you go, you know, go and make disciples. And we see the emphasis on go, but in the reality of the language, the original language, it was more like, as you go, disciple all the nations. The, the call is to disciple. We were joking in staff meeting and we're like, man, how many times are we going to preach about make disciples? Make, okay, make disciples. What are you supposed to do? Make disciples. Here at Greenhouse, we want to make disciples. Like, I get it. I'm like, but are we doing it? Oof. That's, that's, a que- that, that's a gut check, right? It's like, I, I know it. I believe it. I, I genuinely do. Like I think Simon Peter did, but am I doing it? And it begs the question, what does God think about me when my knowledge and my doing are two separate things? What does God think about me then? Or even more so, why, why does Jesus, why does God even care? Like what's the heart motivation behind God's passion? Is it, is, it, is it insecurity? Is he just insecure? Is he like, oh my gosh, if, I don't, if, if, if David doesn't come and worship me, like what's gonna, what's gonna happen? Where, where am I gonna be? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feel good about myself. I need more followers on my heavenly social media account. Otherwise, I'm gonna be in a depression. Like, is, is that what is happening? Is God desperately needing our help? He's like, oh my gosh, if Luke doesn't get in the game, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what, Gabriel, can you, play, you, can you help me out here? Because Luke, I don't know what Luke, like, is that, what's, is, that what, is that God's motivation? Like he's just desperately needing our help? Is God longing for the validation? We'd all laugh, like, of course, that's ridiculous. Well, what's the converse option? Is it possible that he loves us so much that he knows when we settle for our story rather than his story, we settle for a weak and ineffectual version of the life that he intended for us. See, we're reminded here in this passage that our life is not supposed to be about fish. Our life, we are not created to thrive when we focus our lives on the fish. Are you guys tracking with this analogy? I hope you don't go out and you're like, Pastor John said I can't eat fish anymore. So, all right, I can't eat pork, I guess, because he's Jewish. I don't know how he feels about that. Now I can't eat fish. What am I supposed to eat? Okay, metaphor here, the fish the money, the status, the stuff. We're not, we don't thrive when we focus on the fish. Jesus said, it's about the sheep. I don't know how I feel about these UM colors on this, but I'm just gonna let that pass through and pretend it's not there. There's your, that's, see, from heaven to you guys, that's what it is, Angel and Danny, appreciate that. He said, don't focus on the ship, uh, for the, woo, don't focus on the fish, focus on the sheep. Almost cussed in church, praise the Lord. Focus on the sheep, sheep. People, his people, the people he's longing and calling to be his. 
To say it another way, fish matter, but sheep matter more. Careers matter, but calling matters more. Stuff matters, but people matter more. Earth things matter. Thank God we have jobs and can provide for our families, and we do careers that are deeply important in this world, but we're not just living, hello, followers of Jesus, for this world. There is an eternity at stake that is much longer than the temporary moment of our existence, and if all we do is work with fish, well, you're selling your life woefully short of what it was intended to be. I started thinking about career versus calling. You're like, what's the difference, Pastor John? That's a good question, because you need to know. I'll say it like this, a career is what you get paid for. A career is what you get paid for. This is good, this is necessary, this is godly. The scriptures say, hey man, if you're not working, you don't eat, all right? That's a Bible verse. Career matters, a career is what you get paid for, but a calling is what you were made for. And there's a difference. A career is what you get paid for. A calling is what you were made for. Let me show you an example biblically. How many of you know or ever heard the Apostle Paul? Right? What kind of stuff did the Apostle Paul do? You're like, he, he changed the world. He, he wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches. He made disciples. You're right. But guess what Paul did? He made tents. Apostle Paul, we would all say the first stuff that I mentioned, that's what he did. But the reality was Apostle Paul had a career. His career was a tent maker. That's how he got paid. That's what he was paid for. But his calling, which he was made for, was obviously much greater. And it is vital as disciples that we understand both. Let's go back to Peter. Peter had a career. Someone mentioned it before. What was, what was Peter's career before Jesus? He was a fisherman. Jesus finds him. He rolls up on him on the Sea of Galilee, him and his brother Andrew. Peter was a fisherman. This is good. This is fine. This is a family biz. There's nothing wrong here. But then Jesus comes. He, he, Simon Peter meets Jesus, and he is given this calling. You remember what Jesus says to him specifically? He says, Simon Peter, follow me, and I'm going to teach you what? To be a fisher of men. Jesus kind of flips it on him. He's like, hey, Simon Peter, here's, here's what your career has been up to this point. It's been good, and it's been fine, and it's been honorable, but there's something deeper that I don't want you to miss. Now follow me, and I'm going to teach you to be a fisher of men. And like Peter, if you're here this morning, if you're listening under the sound of my voice, or later if you're watching on demand, God is inviting you to be a part of a bigger story, a bigger purpose. Following Jesus means, check this, that you have both a career and a calling. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need both. You need both. It means you have both a career and a calling. So let's talk calling for a second here so we're all on the same page. There are some aspects of calling that are biblically and universally applied to all followers of Jesus. Scripture says we are ambassadors for Jesus. We are called to be disciples and disciple makers. We are called to be lights in the world. We are called to be sent ones or missionaries. That's all of us. That means that if, if you're a teacher or a lawyer or a janitor or a lab tech, you are more than simply doing a role. You are actually a missionary teacher or janitor or lawyer or lab tech. There's a calling that's there for every follower of Jesus in the scripture. Now this gets a little bit more specific once you start getting into Ephesians 4 and what we call the apes. It says that God has appointed apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. He's, he's sort of uniquely wired each one of us individually as we're going and discipling the nations to do that in unique and different ways. 
When it comes to calling, if you're like, well, Pastor John, how, how, how do I begin? Where do I start? If I don't just want to settle for a career, how do I begin this journey of calling? You start with obedience in what is the clearly revealed calling of all followers of Jesus. You start with what's clear in the Bible, and he will clarify and specify your unique call from there. See, what calling does it is, it is that it informs how I go about my career. If you're a doctor in your career, let me give you some examples here. If you're a doctor in your career, that's great. Thank God for you. You keep us all alive, okay? Thank God for doctors one time for health professionals, especially in this season. God bless you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for what you do, right? But if you follow Jesus, I, I need to be clear on something. That is just your career. Maybe you're an IT tech, Maybe you're in the IT sector. I'm like, thank God for you. Maybe you can help us from the people who keep hacking my mom's Facebook account, all right? Super annoying. Whoever you are, we're going to find you. We're coming for you. I'm just playing, but for real. Right? IT techs matter, but, but if you follow Jesus, that's simply your what? Career. There's all sorts of great, incredible, godly careers out there, but here's what I'm trying to go to. If you are looking for ultimate purpose from your career, you won't find it there because ultimate purpose does not come from a career. Guess what it comes from? A calling. Y'all are sharp and tracking with me. Makes me happy. Ultimate purpose does not come from a career. It comes from a calling, which is why you have a whole generation of people bouncing all over the place. Like, I don't know. And, and, and we're just sort of wandering around. There's not an issue with the person. There's an issue with the process. Because we've been discipled in our secular worldview that ultimate purpose comes from your career. I mean, you pick a great career and it's going to matter. I'm not saying careers don't matter. What I'm saying is that fundamentally it is not about your career if you follow Jesus, but how you execute your career in light of your calling. To say it another way, if the career is what you do, often your calling is why and how you do it. If your career is what you do, then often your calling is why and how you do it. As you go, disciple all the nations. As you teach, as you write, as you sell, as you market, as you operate, as you clean, disciple all the nations. As you change diapers, disciple all the baby bottoms. I don't know what to do with that one. I started thinking about a church family who's really living this out. I started thinking about Ruth Chibb, as some of you know her, and, and Ruth has a career in medicine. She's a fantastic nurse, a training nurse. She does all sorts of amazing things medically, but, but if you know anything about Ruth, Ruth is not just a medical practitioner. Ruth is an evangelist. Ruth brings the hope of the gospel wherever she goes. When Ruth walks up in a room, she's like, listen, I'm going to care for your body, and it's going to be gold standard, but your fundamental issue is not your body. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your spirit, and I'm going to bring holistic care because that's what I'm called to do. I started thinking about Daniel Kurzweil, one of the incredible leaders and disciples and disciple makers, the spiritual fathers of our church who passed in what feels like way too soon for us. And I started thinking about all my conversations with Daniel Kurzweil, and, and I don't know if you know this, you probably have no idea, Daniel Kurzweil actually had a career in water damage restoration. But any of us who knew him would know Daniel Kurzweil was so much more than that. Daniel Kurzweil had a calling. He was a kingdom strategist. He was a spiritual father. He was always helping. He was always serving. I'm catching wind more and more of different stuff he did. I'm like, goodness gracious, these are some huge shoes to fill because he was called by God. Pastoring. 
being a spiritual father, business clients and spiritual church members alike. I think about Emmanuel Banu, who's got a career in finance, but he's got a calling. He's getting ready to kick off a, one of our summer discipleship classes, talking about how to utilize your, your finances in a way, how to be a good steward and use your money in such a way where you honor God and you're a blessing to people. If you're like, man, that sounds really helpful, sign up for that today and you can jump in. I think it starts tomorrow, Emmanuel. Yeah, it starts tomorrow. You can jump in on that thing. But I'm thinking about all of these disciples in our church who, who are phenomenal and faithful in their career, but it's not just about a career. It's about a calling. And there is all of the pressure in the world because, to be clear, it comes from the world to make our lives all about us. It's our stuff. It's our money. It's our job. It's our time. It's our career. But we do not thrive when we focus on us. In fact, we wither, which is why Jesus asked Peter, and I'm, I'm praying that you hear him asking you with love in his eyes this morning, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Because I think he's asking us the same question today. Fish or sheep? Fish or sheep? I want us imagining what this could look like. like. Imagine if you showed up to your job, not just focusing on the fish, not just focusing on the stuff and the hours and the drama and the pay and the compensation and the spreadsheets and the data. Imagine if you showed up to work every day focused on the sheep, focused on the people, on, on making disciples, on, on loving people. Imagine if you showed up, prayed up, ready with a scripture, a word of encouragement, a prophetic word for someone in your office. And then imagine if you started to live like that regularly. What would happen? College students, imagine if you showed up to your classes not just looking for answers and A's, but looking for D's. Disciples. Just want to clarify that one because I almost cussed earlier. Imagine if you showed up to your classes every single day, prayed up, full of the Holy Spirit, ready with a word of encouragement, ready with a scripture verse, on the lookout saying, God, I, I want to go after the sheep. I'm not just going to focus on myself and my life. God, what are you up to? Who are you wanting me to bless, encourage, remind about your goodness, remind about your faithfulness, let know that, you, that they matter to you and that you haven't forgotten about them and that there's hope. God, I'm on the lookout. What are you wanting to do? Imagine if you lived like that and imagine if you did it regularly. What would happen? Here's a crazy one here. Imagine if you showed up to church every single week. You're like, that's crazy enough right there, Pastor John. I can't even, I can't, I can only imagine. I can't even, can't even go, know where that would go. But imagine if you showed up to church every single week and you showed up not just as an attendee ready to say, Pastor John, you better do a good word, otherwise I'm gonna fall asleep because it's kind of warm in the Western Auditorium. And you're like, man, whoever's singing, they better sing. Imagine if you showed up, prayed up, full of the Spirit, every single week on the lookout to bless the sheep. Imagine if you, if you showed up every single week, prayed up, full of the Spirit, ready with a word of encouragement, ready with a prophecy, ready with some sort of an exhortation. If you came and you're like, man, when we have that little dead space in worship, I'm like, Holy Spirit, give me a word, give me a prophecy, give me something to share with the body. Imagine if you showed up not just focused on the stuff and the sheep and your life and you're kind of distracted. You're like, man, where can I go to lunch? I don't know. Panera's getting kind of old. And you showed up for the sheep 
and you did it regularly, what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. God's kingdom would come. People's lives would be changed. We'd have little pockets of revival sparking up all over Nova campus and all over FIU campus and all over FAU campus and all over BC campus. And you'd have little pockets of revival sparking up at your job. Why? Because the kingdom is coming. Through some little old fishermen who threw down their sheep. Oh, that's a fish. And picked up the sheep. And here's the point, and I'm not mad, I'm not frustrated, I hope my passion comes across in the right way. Because I feel like we've been sold a story that's not the whole story. Friend, careers matter, but you were made for so much more than a career. And you were made for so much more than just making money and, and getting that promotion and getting that award and, and padding the 401k and maxing out your retirement account and getting that house you always dreamed of, of a lake so you could be there and read books until you die. You were made for a kingdom purpose and you were designed with a destiny and a calling that is the ultimate longing of your heart. If you're like, man, Pastor John, I went all the way through school and then I graduated school top of my class and then I got into that career I was wanting and I still feel so empty. Exactly. You might be in the right career. You're just missing the calling and it's available to you this morning in Jesus. See, when you're faithful with your career, but you execute your career with great love and diligence in light of your greater calling, you have truly found the meaning of life. You found your purpose. But we're us. We, we drift. We forget. God knows I haven't done this perfectly, and I forget all the time, and I'm the pastor. We all, like Peter's, have, have gone astray. We're so prone to get it and then forget it. It's like spiritual ADD, and, and we're the same ones who said, Jesus, my life is yours. Everything I have is yours. Jesus, I want to follow you all of my days. And then a few months, days, weeks, or hours later, we put our lives back in our hands and make it all about us. We all, like Peter, have, have gone astray, which brings us to the charcoal fire. Work, worship team, you can come up, and we're going to close in a final chorus in just a moment here. There's this curious detail that John adds in the story that seems a bit superfluous at first glance. He tells us in John 21 that, that Jesus tells them, hey, come on, and, and they realize it's him, and Verse 9, it says, then when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said, hey, come have some breakfast. You're like, what, what, what's up with the, with the charcoal fire? Well, it's not just a random detail. It's, I think it's actually the whole point of the story. See, John 18, several chapters earlier, we're told that that Jesus gets arrested. Now, he had committed no crime, but he was being falsely accused. And, and as he's brought before the religious leaders who are angry and ready to condemn him because they're losing their clout and their power and their authority, all of the disciples sort of freak out and run away except one. Guess who follows him all the way? Simon Peter. He follows him all the way to the courtyard of where he's going to be accused because Simon Peter meant it with all of his heart. I'm telling you he did. And he gets all the way there, and, 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 but it says, it, there's this little detail that says that it's chilly outside. It's kind of cold there in Jerusalem around this winter time. it must be, or getting close. And so all of the servants are gathered around this charcoal fire. 
And they kind of notice his accent and they notice his countenance. And one of them says, wait, wait, wait a second. Weren't you with Jesus? He says, nah, man, you got an identity crisis. That's somebody else. I, I get that all the time. A little while goes by and they're asked again, hey, I, I think you were one of those disciples that was with Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 that's somebody else. They ask him a third time and they say, I, I really think you were one of the disciples. He literally, scripture says he kind of, he cusses at them. He emphatically denounces, I don't know who that man is that you're even talking about. And then just as Jesus promised, Jesus told him, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Luke gives us this little detail, man, break your heart. It says that just as the rooster crows, Simon Peter says, I don't even know him. And then Jesus turns and looks at him. And as you can imagine, Simon Peter is crushed. I don't know if you've ever felt a failure that feels like you can never recover from it, but goodness gracious, betraying the son of God to his face. It's pretty high on the list. It says that Simon Peter goes away and he weeps bitterly. And then the next time we hear about him, he's basically given up. He's gone back to fishing. Simon Peter's decided for himself, man, I, I know Jesus had this incredible calling and he, he gave me this new name and he gave me this new purpose and he gave me this new destiny, but I have clearly shown that I'm not worth it. And he puts himself on the bench. And I had a feeling in my heart, there's many of us that have done that this morning. But there's a problem. Because you see, in the ancient world, they didn't have stoves and they didn't have electric grills and they didn't have, you know, smokeless griddles that they could use in their houses. And they guess how they cooked in the ancient world? On charcoal fires. Simon Peter in particular, as he comes back to, to being the fisherman Simon who, who is going to be living largely off of his catch, guess how they cooked fish? on a charcoal fire. And now Simon Peter is haunted every single evening as the nights are cold, he smells the charcoal fire. Every single moment as people are cooking, he smells the charcoal fire. Every single time he wants to get a little bit of food, he smells the charcoal fire. I'm, I wonder how many involuntary fasts Simon Peter has done at this point because every time he goes anywhere, the smell in his nostrils reminds him of the stench of his failure. Does any wonder why he goes back to the fish? He has failed in the worst way. And then Jesus shows up. And John makes clear that, that Jesus is, he's the word became flesh. He's the image of the invisible God, Paul says in Colossians. He's the one that gives us a picture of what God is like. If you've ever wondered, what does God really think about me? How does God really feel about me? What is the truth of this story? The Bible says, look at Jesus and you've got your answer. Jesus shows up as the image of the invisible God. And I don't want you to miss this. Before Simon Peter ever goes looking for Jesus, Jesus comes looking for him. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Simon Peter's off giving up. He's given up hope. He's given up on himself. Jesus has not given up on him, but it gets so much better because when Simon Peter encounters the risen Lord, he is seated and cooking in front of what? A charcoal fire. Because Jesus' mission was not simply to remind Simon Peter, it was to redeem him. 
And the message that he gives through his actions, his words, and his life is abundantly and overwhelmingly full of hope and grace. And I pray you do not miss it this morning. Here is his message, loud, clear, and life-changing. Peter, you thought for the rest of your life that this charcoal fire, that this common smell that would follow you all your days would would remind you of your failure, but now forever it's gonna remind you of my grace. Yeah. And he completes the loop and he asks him once again, at the end of it all, Simon Peter, follow me. And I had a sense in my heart that for some of us, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this has not been our collective banner year. This has not been our best moment, maybe in any way, emotionally, physically, career-wise, or spiritually. And I had a deep sense in my heart that there's some of us in this room that you have drifted from your calling and you've drifted from your destiny and you've settled for a career and you know it's not satisfying, you know it's less than God's called you to, but you have put yourself in time out because like Simon Peter, you know, man, I've drifted and I don't deserve it. And you're right, because I don't either which is why you need to hear the message of the charcoal fire. His grace is sufficient. His calling is not so weak and ineffectual that it is undone by your inability to perform to perfection. He loves you, his grace is calling you back, and he is asking you only one question. Not why'd you do it, how could you? Here's the only question he's asking you. Will you follow me? Friend, I pray you hear it this morning. Jesus is asking you again, follow me. And I'm not sure what your charcoal fire is, but he's not surprised by it and he's not intimidated by it. And I'm praying you hear his voice this morning so clearly for the first time or that you hear it again, follow me. And I'm praying you say yes. Why don't you join me as we pray? You can bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of quiet and concentration between you and God. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you care. Lord, I'm praying that we would be a church full of shepherds, a church that get your heart for sheep, blind and smelly and dirty and a hot mess as we are, Lord, that we would get your heart of compassion for people just like us who need your grace, who need your love desperately. If you're here this morning and you want to commit or commit again to follow Jesus, to make him leader and Lord, to receive the forgiveness and right standing with God that only he offers, that is only available in him, I wanna give you an opportunity right now. There's no magic formula that you have to say, but but I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air and wave it at me. If you're in the room, if you're watching online, say, man, that's me. I know God's doing something in my heart. Even right there, wherever you're at, here in the room or, or watching online, Just begin to utter a a prayer from your heart to God, something along the lines of, Jesus, I need you. I've blown it, I've wandered, I've drifted. Forgive me, help me, teach me to follow you. Maybe you're here and you began a journey with Jesus, but you know it's time to commit or commit again to seeking his kingdom first, to pursue sheep over fish calling and not just career. If that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, God, I'm listening. You got my heart all over again. Jesus, I'm yours. I want to follow you. You can look up at me and and why don't you stand to your feet. If I could have our prayer partners come up here and, and line the front for me.
we're gonna sing a final chorus, Rochelle and Andrew are gonna lead us in this final chorus, and, and as soon as they begin to sing, you're welcome to come forward. If you'd like prayer, we've got some incredible leaders down here who, who love you. There's a bunch of ordinary people like me, like us, trying to follow Jesus. They would love to, to answer any questions you have about God, faith, spirituality, to encourage you, to, to just kind of walk with you on your faith journey. If you're online, you can type Jesus right there in the chat. You can text it to the number on the screen. You can request prayer right there online. We'd love to jump in with you as well. But as we sing this final chorus, if God's stirring your heart in any sort of a way, we would love to pray with you as we close out our time together.